Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series entitled On the Rocks. In this message, Brandon looks at the foundations of marriage. Not only does he look at what marriage is supposed to be intended for, but also what it is not intended for. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Um, glad you are here. Man, this feels kind of weird. I haven't been up here in two weeks, and so I'm hoping it's kind of like riding a bicycle that you just kind of pick it up when you, you know, left off. But, um, but I'm glad to be back up here. I want to tell you real quick about a couple of things, just reemphasize um, something to you. One of them is we aren't having a um, December 26th service, okay? And here, I, want to, I want you to understand the reason why we're not. One is because for most of you, December 25th is going to be pretty crazy, right? You'll be running around, you'll be doing different things. We want to give you a chance on the 26th, right after Christmas, to be able to spend that time with your family, um, to be able to spend that day um, with, with your loved ones, and just have a day that you guys can be together. You can, you can worship together, and, um, and, and, and that's a good reason. Another good reason, um, and this is, this is a huge reason, um, is you can get people to come to church on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, when they won't come any other time, Right? They, they, may, they may not come to church, they, they, but they will come to church on December 24th. So this is the goal. We want you to invite people to church on December 24th who do not go to church. We want to be able to put everything we have into that service. So that when you invite them here, you won't leave going, why did I invite them to church? We're going to preach the gospel that night. We are going to take the opportunity that we get to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who we may not get that opportunity again for a long, long time. And so we want to be able to put everything we can into that service. We're going to have worship. We're going to have our children do um, a Christmas presentation. And then we're going to let them go over and have a happy birthday Jesus party and sugar them up real good because they don't get excited enough on Christmas Eve. And so we're just going to let them have a big time over there while we present the gospel as clearly as we can present it. Um, to people over here. So we want you to be a part of helping us get some folks here who typically don't go to church so that we can pour into them and take advantage of that opportunity. And we want to be able to focus all of our resources in that direction. Something else that we're, we're announcing today, and, and, um, and this, this may seem crazy, but we feel like this is where the Lord's leading us, um, is beginning January 16th, we are actually beginning another service. Um, it is, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, it is going to be at 1245. Um, this, this service will be, it'll be like these other two, but in a way it won't because it will be loud. Um, it will be, it will be hopping. It will be kicking. It will be, it will be awesome. Just like all the other services are, it will be incredible. Um, we feel like we need to do this one because at 1045, um, the services are usually just slam packed. We, we really feel like we can, can open up some space in that service, which honestly is an optimal time to reach people who are far from God. Um, that's just the time in the South that you go to church, right? Um, and so we, um, we want to be able to make some room in that service. And we believe that for some of the, the younger folks, the college students, especially people who maybe they're, they're not accustomed to going and eating at RJ's um, after every service, that this may be an awesome time for them to be able to come to church. Listen, they can't use the excuse, I, I don't want to get up early to come to that, that service, right? And there's 20,000 college students across the street, and, and I believe most of them probably need to know Jesus um, through their college years. Um, I don't think I know that they need to know Christ. And so we're going to begin to uh, try to fill that up. I'm excited because it gives us three services 
that will have seats available that we can reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, that's going to be awesome. And so we are pumped about that. Today we're going to continue the On the Rock series. Um, man, I'm so thankful for the other two guys, Joey and Milan, who preached the first two parts of this, this series. Man, they did an awesome job. I was a little intimidated getting up to follow them because I'm like, okay, I don't want to ruin this thing. Um, but, but I'm excited uh, to be able to talk to you about this today. We're actually going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to begin verse 24 if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, don't forget next week is our, um, our marriage panel. So he asked you if you would put some questions in the back. If there's some things you wonder about relationships, about marriage, write some questions down on the cards that are in the back and drop them in there. We're going to fire these questions at eight different people, four couples um, who have spotless, perfect marriages, and um, let them answer these questions. And, uh, and it'll, it's going to be fun, man. I get to be the moderator, um, maybe the fight breaker-upper, um, the referee of this thing, and it's going to be a blast. So um, plan to be here next week, and, and we'll have a good time with that. Um, scripture today, Matthew seven twenty four through 29. Let's read this and we'll pray and then we're going to jump in. Verse 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity we have to look into your word and see what it tells us about relationships, God, about marriage, about relationships that honor you and and give an accurate picture of who you are, God. I, I pray, Father, that right now you would just speak through me that um, you would anoint this word to sink deep into our hearts, produce fruit in our lives, and produce fruit in our relationships, God. We just thank you so much for who you are and your love and your grace and your mercy that you've placed upon us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. About a year ago, almost a year ago this month, um, we, we preached a series here um, called Unfulfilled Potential. I don't know how many of you remember that. I don't know if that series fulfilled its potential or not, but, but we preached it and... Um, it was, it was, it was a pretty cool series. And, um, but during that series, I began to pray and look at my own life and think, what, um, what areas of my life are, are not fulfilling their potential? Um, cause I don't want to die and leave, leave, leave something on the table, right? I want to, I want to fulfill every bit of potential and do everything that God created me to do. And so I began to look at that. And one of the areas that was just a glaring thing for me was my marriage. And I began to look at it. It wasn't like we were on the verge of divorce. It wasn't that everything was just falling apart, but I looked at it and I realized things could be better. Right? Everybody that's in here and you're, and you're married, you look at areas of your marriage, and if you're honest, you know things could be better. And I began to look at my marriage, and I began to go, you know, we could fine-tune this thing. We, we, we need a tune-up here. We take our cars to get the oil changed. Does it not make sense that we would take our marriage and we would find ways to fine-tune it, right? And so I thought, we'll, we'll do this. We're going to go, and we're going to, to start going to see a marriage counselor. So I have a friend of mine who's a marriage counselor. Many of you know him because you've been to him. Um, but, but he... Um, He's, he's a good friend of mine, but I said, you know, we're going to go and we're going to sit down with this guy and we're going to let him begin 
to invest in us and in our marriage and just begin to work on this thing. And, and we, so we go and we sit down and you know what I discovered was that I'm really messed up. I mean, I, I figured out real quick, like Susan is not the problem in this relationship. And even my problems with Susan are a result of my problems. Right. And, um, and I began to realize, man, and she's like sitting over there and basically what these things turned into was a counseling session for me. And Susan, Susan just kind of sits over there, like with this glow around this godly glory of glow and this halo. And, and, and you know, and, and then, then the counselor, he's like, well, well, Brandon, we need to work on these things. And, and so we go home and we try to apply these things. I mean, it was awkward. Like it was one time that the thing wanted me to like get in a fetal position in her lap and let her hold me and me tell her my feelings. And I was like, listen, I will do a lot of things, but one of them is not laying in your lap in the fetal position and telling you, my, I mean, we're not doing that. And so I had to draw a line in the sand at some point, but, um, but, but we did do a lot of stuff. It was just weird. It was awkward, but, but we got in there and we start going through these things. And one of the things that we had to do was we had to go back and begin to look at um, kind of our upbringing, like our primary caregivers. And some of you have been through this thing where you go through, you begin to list everything out. And so we were kind of, it's fun, right? Because you get to blame your problems on somebody else. And we love to do that. I mean, you see people on TV and they're always like, well, my, my daddy did this and my mom. You never see anybody go, I'm just a jerk. I'm an idiot. I just messed up my life. It's always blamed on somebody else. And so we were enjoying that until the thing dawned on us that one day, what are our children going to be saying about us? And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, we started like thinking about all the stuff that they're going to be sitting in the chair, you know, the chair, telling the counselor about, well, my daddy did this and this is why. And I was like, man, this is, this is horrible now. We didn't enjoy it nearly as much. And, and the thing is though, you go back and you begin to look at the early parts of your life. Why do you do that? You do it because in the, most people will tell you in the first five to six years of your life, you are laying the foundation for the rest of your life, Right. You are, you are shaping your, their character. And it, it's kind of scary when you have children. And I like look at them, I'm like, they're acting like that. Now, if this is the time we're laying the foundation, what are they going to be like when they get older, you know? And, and so the foundation's being laid. And, and this, and here's the thing about the foundation that we're laying for our children. Uh, the, the foundation that we're laying, it, it, it determines their character. It determines their integrity. It determines the strength of their life, Right? And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how important the foundation is so much so that, that early on in a child's life, it affects the rest of their life. That is wild, man. We need to get that foundation right, don't you think? Um, the other thing I thought about is, is some of you have a building background and you know the importance of the foundation of a building. There was nothing worse um, in my former life as a construction worker. Um, I did roofing work. And every, every time I tell somebody that, they're like, no wonder you're a pastor. You had to get out of roofing. And I was like, yeah. Uh, didn't work exactly like that, but okay. Um, and so, but I would hate to go behind people when they would erect the steel or they would pour the concrete and it was not square. The foundation was wrong because you know what, the, what would happen is you'd spend the rest of that job trying to catch up and make up for the error that was made in the foundation. As you're in construction, you, re- you, you know this. And, and the thing about it is when a lot of this stuff doesn't show up until the project's almost finished. And you step back and look and you go, why is that? It's like running like this. Why is, why is it like that? Why is it? You know, and you begin to see it. And I thought about in our relationships how when we don't get our foundation right, a lot of times the real problems don't show up until they're almost finished. 
Isn't that true? I mean, I mean, we go along and we try to play catch up for the rest of our lives. When the foundation isn't right um, for, our, for our lives as a child, when the foundation isn't right for our lives in, in marriage, then we spend so much of the rest of our lives trying to catch up to what was done wrong in the first place. Would you agree with that? So it's important to know what the foundation is. And Jesus tells us very clearly right here, he says that the foundation, the key to a foundation for our lives is what? The things he says, doing the things he says. Well, what is it that he says to do? He is his word. His word is the foundation for our lives. He says, listen, if you will just hear my words and you will do them, then you You'll have a strong foundation. You'll be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. How many of you know um, that in life, wind and rain and storms will come your way? All right? Don't you want a life? Don't you want a marriage that's built on a foundation that you don't have to worry about something coming and destroying it? That you don't have to worry about something coming along and knocking it off the foundation because it's so secure in where it is. So today we're going to be looking at this. If, if the foundation of our life, if the foundation of our life is God's word, don't you think we ought to know what God's word says? So why don't we pick it up and read it? If the foundation of our lives and of our marriage is in this book, why don't we pick it up and read it? And, and we hear people say that all the time, like pick up the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And so for Christians, it usually just becomes like, all right, I got to read the Bible. And you read it, and then you walk away from it, and you're like, I don't even know what I read. You know, I don't even know what I just read. And and we read it, and we read it, and we read it, and nothing seems to really change in our lives or in our marriage. And so we just read it, and we look at it. And this is the thing I believe. I believe the reason we have to read the Word of God and what we have to be going after when we read God's Word, and we're thinking about establishing this foundation, is we don't need to be going after just more information. See, most Christians today have enough information to last them the rest of their life. I mean, if you know the two things that Jesus says is most important, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that can keep you occupied for a long, long time. Right? I mean, that's enough to last you for a long, long time. I don't believe that our issue is, is needing to know more information. Our issue is we need a revelation of the information that we already know. It needs to go from something we know in our head to something that begins to transform our hearts. It needs to be something that that instead of just opening up and looking at it on Sunday morning, it is the very core of our lives. It is the very thing that our lives are being built upon, the very thing that our marriages are being built upon. It's not something that we just open up whenever we get a little bit scared or whenever we just need um, a little pick-me-up. It's something that we come to to get a revelation of who God is. In fact, I believe that one of the reasons God's words is so important, and probably the main reason, is because it is a progressive revelation of who God is. It is a progressive revelation. And in this, God begins to reveal himself to us. All the way to Jesus, who was what? The word made flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says this. It says that he was the express image of God. Isn't that cool? I think what happened is God had been trying to tell man and show man through different ways like who he was and we kept messing it up so much that he finally like, these guys aren't going to get it. I'm going to have to go down there and show them. And so he comes and he comes and he demonstrates who he is, who God is, and he shows us very clearly who, who he is through Jesus. One of the specific ways that he does this is through his covenants. Everybody heard the word covenant, right? Well, covenant is simply a binding agreement between two or more parties. 
It's a binding agreement between two or more parties. And God demonstrates him, his love for us through covenants. He demonstrates his heart for us through covenants. God reveals himself to us through covenants. Okay, so here's the thing that I want you to see. And you've got to see this. You've got to understand this because this is the foundation of our life. It is the foundation of our ministry um, is God's covenants. Now, listen, think about this. Adam and Eve are in the garden. All right. You got to get this part now. Adam and Eve are in the garden. It was perfect. It was perfect. I mean, it, it, everything was provided for them. Everything was glory. It was good. How many of you like to go back to that? That would be cool, right? How many of you are going to punch Adam when you see him? And if, if he's, you're going to just, just smack him in the nose. It'll be like, and then you're like, okay, God, I'm sorry. But, but you just want to smack him, right? Or you just want to find Eve and be like, what are you thinking? Because it was perfect. It was so awesome. It was so good. And, and they messed it up. And in the garden, God gave Adam and Eve three capacities. And these capacities were perfectly fulfilled in the original creation. And I want you to hear these and understand. There's the three R's, okay? So it's, it's kind of easier to remember. The first one is he gave them the capacity for a relationship. A healthy, perfect relationship with himself, with God, and with his wife. A healthy, perfect relationship. So relationship's the first one. The second one is he gave them the ability to be righteous. He created them righteous. Isn't it interesting that the only righteousness that mankind has ever had has been given by God? The first righteousness when he created Adam and Eve and the second righteousness when he gave us Jesus Christ and he just said, here's your righteousness. That's pretty cool. So we had this capacity, this ability to live a righteous life. All right. The third one was to rule. To rule. He said, you know, I'm giving you dominion over everything. I've given you dominion over everything. Now rule the earth. Govern the earth for me. Govern this paradise that I've given you. And so he gave us the ability for healthy relationships, the ability for righteousness, and the ability to rule and to reign on earth. But then what happened? It's the S word, right? Sin. Sin came. And it messed all of it up. It was like God had created this perfect thing. I know when we go to the beach a lot of times, we'll be out on the beach and we're out there and we're, we're, we're just creating stuff. And then one of the little kids will come by and just, they just walk right over our sandcastle. Or they walk right over the whatever it was that we were creating. And, and they just laugh and they love it. And then you beat them and send them back. To their man. Um, you're up. But, but they come and they destroy it. And I think about how upset I get when something I create gets destroyed. It's like you spend all day cleaning the house, cleaning the house. It's immaculate. Your kids come in, it's like, it's like they walk through and stuff just falls off shelves. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It can be perfect. And they walk in and five minutes later, it looks like you didn't do anything. And then you're like, pick that up. And they're like, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, then you're like, having, you know, it's, it's, it's just kids. But you know, God looks at us a lot like that. He created this perfect creation. And then what did Adam and Eve do? They messed it up. It was marred. It was messed up. And so he comes in and instead of coming in and just throwing the smack down, just, just coming in and blowing us up and starting over, he comes in and he gives Adam and Eve this covenant. It's in Genesis chapter 3, 15. And the promise is this. The covenant that God gives is that one day, one day, she, a woman is going to give birth to a son that her seed is going to trample the head of the serpent and God is saying in this covenant he's saying one day I'm going to put things back in order one day it's going to be made right one day I'm going to give give get back what I've lost because of your decision 
And this is so cool. You got to hear this, man. You got to hear this. As soon as sin happened, God made provision for it all to be made right. See, that doesn't register for most of us because of the way we've been brought up in church. God made provision that we could still be his. And he did it through a covenant. I I remember um, I was at a friend's house one night and we walk out into the garage and we walking down the steps. And I don't know how many of you have ever had this feeling, but I look up and there's this snake in the garage. I was like, because I hate snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. If you love snakes, you're weird. I'm sorry. You know, I, I hate snakes. It's just they are not good. And, and you know, I want, this is what I want to do. I want to buy a large rat and get snakes to feed the rat. I, I just think that would be a cool way to reverse things a little bit. You know, you buy the rats to feed to this. I'm going to feed snakes to the, anyway. All right. But we walk out and this snake is laying there in the garage and it was like this big, right? I mean, literally it was like four or five inches long and we're all like, ah! it was like, it was like an anaconda or something laying in the garage and we're all jumping around and my buddy, he grabs a broomstick and he starts chasing this little snake around trying to beat it with this broom. And I mean, trying to hit it with the end and this snake's just like, I mean, it had some moves, man. It was like back and forth, back and forth, going all over crazy. And then I realized I had on boots because I live in the South. And, and so I, I had on these big honking work boots. And so I was like, this little snake, I just walked over and I went, and I just stepped on it. And I was like, get, get your broom out of here. I just got a big foot. And so I just took the snake, threw it away, killed the snake. And when I did that, I mean, it's like immediately I thought about this. I thought about, you know, that's what God promised to do to Satan. That's what God promised to do to Satan when he says one day the seed of this woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And he makes this awesome covenant and says we're going to dominate this. One day you will be given back everything that was lost. And I want to run through these real quick because I want you to see how God gave this back to us. How he gave us back um, all of the stuff that Satan took away from us. The first one is in Genesis 15, 17 through 21. I'm not going to read it, but this is where God comes to Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. And in this covenant, he gives us back our ability to have a a healthy relationship. God comes and he says, I'm reestablishing my relationship with mankind. I want to get back to that relationship. I'm going to begin to create this. And through Abraham, he gives us this incredible covenant uh, for relationship. And then you go and you come to Moses and in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, and then in chapter 20, where he gives us the 10 commandments. He comes back and he says, I'm going to give you back this capacity for righteousness. But only thing is, you just have to obey everything I tell you to do. Anybody ever been successful at that, right? But he begins to to say, listen, I'm going to reestablish your righteousness through this covenant with Moses. And then we come to David in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16. He tells David, he says, I'm going to put you on the throne and, and somebody from your line is going to sit on the throne forever and rule and reign. And he says, I'm going to begin to reestablish your ability to rule. He gives us our purpose, our relationship. He gives us the pattern, righteousness. And then he begins to give us the power to rule and reign again in life. That's pretty cool, isn't it? How God begins to progressively reveal himself through these covenants. But then the best part comes when this little virgin girl, Mary, gives birth to this little baby in Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. And the awesome thing about Jesus is that a covenant was not made with Jesus. He was the covenant. He is the covenant. It was within him, right? Think about this. In Jesus Christ, God gave us back our ability to have relationship Perfect relationship with him, relationship with other people. By the way, that's why we exist as a church, to connect people to God and people to each other. That is why God put us here. And and so he wants to reestablish this through Jesus, this way we can have healthy relationships. The second thing is this, he gave us back our righteousness, right? It was perfected in Christ so that we again 
could be made righteous. The third thing is he gave us back our dominion. See, your life was not given to you so that you can walk through life with your head down and your shoulders slumped over and just barely getting by. Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be a victim, but you could live victoriously. That's why he died. And through the Holy Spirit, he sealed the deal in us and gave us the power to live a different life from anybody else on earth. That is why he died. That is why he rose. That is why the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you right now. Is so you don't have to be a victim. You can be victorious. Now that's a good God. That is a good God who would give us back everything that we lost through Jesus Christ. That he would give us all of that back. Our relationship, our righteousness, the ability to rule and reign and to be overcomers, to overcome the world and not to be just victims of the world. That is an awesome God. But let me ask you this. What covenant, what covenant did God use the most when he was talking about his covenant with us? He didn't refer to Abraham. He didn't refer to Moses. He, and he did, but, but not nearly as much as he referred to what? The marriage covenant. How many times does the scripture talk about us being the bride of Christ, of him being the groom, of God coming for his bride, for, for us to begin to be perfected and made holy and spotless and blameless because God was coming for a spotless bride, that he was coming for a bride who was perfect and without blemish. And see, here's the thing. When you think about why God gave um, the woman to the man, I want to read this to you. It's in Genesis 2.18. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When you think about the covenant of Christ and you look at this and you say, all right, here, here's Jesus. He came to make me whole. He came to, to be my helper. The, the Holy Spirit, another name for the Holy Spirit is the helper, the comforter, the one who comes to, to make us complete and to make us whole. When you look at the covenant that he gave us with Jesus, then you look at the covenant that he gave us with our wife or our husband. They line up. See, Jesus didn't give us the marriage covenant to point to his covenant. He gave us his covenant to point to the marriage. Marriage. I don't know why I'm choking today. Uh, but, but he gave us his covenant to point to the marriage covenant. Do you see the difference in that? Aren't you glad that his covenant with us is not based off of the marriage covenant? Like that you live in right now? Because like you'd have a little fight and he wouldn't talk to you for five days. Right? I mean, it's the other way around. His covenant with us, the ability to have relationship, the ability to live righteously, to, to be whole and complete, the ability to rule and reign in life was given to us to model how a marriage relationship should be. But here's the problem. So many of us have not had a revelation of his covenant with us. How could we possibly have a revelation of what the marriage covenant is supposed to be in our lives? We can't. I mean, how could you describe something you've never seen? You can't. And so we need to begin to realize that his covenant with us was given to us for a reason. Now, I want to do this. Um, I want to talk to you real quick. And I, I just want to share some things with you, five things real quick, that there are not reasons for God giving you a husband. That are not reasons for God giving you a wife. The first one is this. The first one is that he did not give you a wife. He did not give you a husband to make you happy. How many of you would say that didn't work if that's why God? <laughs> Come on, if we're honest, if we're honest, 
the marriage covenant actually probably makes us die to ourselves more than any that and having children more than anything else you will ever experience in life. I mean, taking two people who are probably very different in a lot of ways and going, okay, you're going to live under the same roof. You're going to sleep in the same bed and you're going to get along perfectly and make each other happy. I'm not God. And I know that doesn't work. Right. The only thing that's going to make you happy is your salvation. The only thing that's going to make you happy is when you have a revelation of who God is for you and you begin to live out of the joy of your salvation. You remember when Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples and they came back and they're like, oh man, this is awesome, Jesus, man. We've been doing some ministry and it has been so good. And even the demons obey us. We've been casting out demons. We're like, Satan, get out of there. And you know, they're gone. And, and they've been doing healing people. And, and Jesus looks at them and he's like, man, that is awesome and that is good. But you know what? Don't rejoice in the fact that demons obey you. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't rejoice that that girl you've been hounding to ask, you know, to, to marry you and you've been asking and asking that she finally says yes and that's going to make you happy because the thing that's going to satisfy you and give consistency in life is not this girl or this guy, is not your husband and your wife and maybe you've been looking for happiness in your husband or wife for so long and that's why you're miserable. Though what's going to make you happy is when you fully develop or in, just, just dive into this relationship that Jesus has given you through the cross. This covenant relationship that he has offered you. The second thing is this, that God didn't give you a husband or a wife to satisfy you. God didn't give you a husband or a wife to satisfy you. You know the only thing that's ever going to satisfy you, the only thing that's ever going to satisfy you is your covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're looking for satisfaction in any other thing, then you are looking in a place that is not going to satisfy you. Jesus is the lover and the satisfier of your soul, not somebody else. But we look to our spouse to satisfy us. Listen, guys, more sex is not going to satisfy you forever. Like the first time, and, and listen, I'm just going to be real with you. The first time you had sex, did you walk away and go, I'll never want to do that again? No. You didn't. And God did not give you a wife so that she could be your personal porn star. I'm sorry, but she, he didn't. He did not. And you come in and you're like, well, I really want to you know, make love to my wife. Then why don't you treat her like the treasure she is instead of just trying to manipulate her so you can have sex with her? And guys, you need to realize you can't, you can't treat her like crap five days a week, get up on the six, make her a pot of coffee and think she's going to fall into your arms and say, take me, I'm yours. That don't work. And ladies, you need to realize that most of the time the guy wakes up in the morning thinking about what can I do today so that my wife will have sex with me. (laughs) But women aren't stupid. And ladies, here's the deal. Don't use sex to manipulate your husband. You know that's what he wants. (laughs) You know it. And so what do you do? I'm doing that. Nope. He didn't take out the trash. I'm not doing that. <laughs> he didn't bathe the kids. He did. that, that's just as bad because women use that to manipulate. Listen, why don't we just get back to what it was originally intended for is an intimate way for a husband and a wife who are loving each other unconditionally to share in something that was meant to be so awesome and so incredibly shared between two people who are sacrificially um, dying for each other every day. How would that revolutionize? I hear men all the time going, I don't know about this Jesus thing, me being the bride. I'm not being the bride. I'm a man, I ain't a bride. 
But what does that say about our understanding of the marriage relationship, right? It's not about sex. It's about, it's about loving each other in the way that Christ loved us. And sex is just icing on the cake, right? And so, I mean, we, we need to grab hold of this. We need to begin to realize this, that God is the one who satisfies us. We need to quit manipulating and trying to make our wives or our husband be the one that satisfies us. The third one is this, sex. God didn't give you a husband or a wife for sex. I know I'm, it's like getting hot in here. I know it's hot in here today, but... <laughs> But he, he didn't. He really didn't give you a husband. And, and, and here's the thing that, that we get so messed up in our society. In our society is we think that somehow sex can establish and sustain a relationship. And it can't. And that's why so many men and women are hopping from bed to bed because they're looking for that one relationship that's going to satisfy them. And it's not. It's not. It's why men and women are, are splitting up. And, and even later in age, it's because it's been established on the wrong thing. And sex can never establish or sustain a relationship. The fourth one is financial stability. People get married thinking that, well, we can combine our incomes and we'll be happy. That don't work. First of all, when you get a raise, you figure out how to spend it, don't you? It's like, man, if I could just get $100 a week more, we could pay this bill off, man, we could be done. And the first thing you do is you pay that bill off and you go buy a four-wheeler, right? Or you go buy a gun. Or you go buy, you know, some like 45 pairs of shoes, or, or whatever it might be. And so financial stuff, it's not for that. The, the fifth one is this, that we don't get married for security. I mean, Jesus is the one who gives us our security. And women, this is a hard thing because one of your greatest needs is security. But can I, let me just say this. Your husband cannot do for you what the God of the universe can do. Men, you struggle because you need more significance. That makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside when people acknowledge your achievements. And so what do we do? When we begin to struggle with who we are, we end up going and we begin to look for other ways to feel significant. So we start working more. We start putting in more hours. We, we find somebody who will tell us how significant we are. And it's never going to work until we get the covenant correct. And that covenant is with Jesus. He is the foundation. He has revealed himself to us. He has come to us. The statistic is this, that 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. 50%. You go to Christian marriages, how many do you think end in divorce? 50%. Is that not insane? What kind of testimony is that to the world? And my thing is this, is it any wonder that, that they live or that they end in the same percentage of divorce when typically the pattern we go after is the same pattern as the world, right? We don't do anything different. So real quick, I, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to tell you uh, real quick why I believe 50% of marriages end in divorce. And I want to tell you why some of you today, I believe, should come down and renew your vows, okay? So real quick, we're going to run through these and then, then we're going to have an opportunity for you to come up. And recommit your life to Christ and recommit your life to your wife as we renew your vows. Number one is this, that God never truly has been or, or ever has been the foundation of your marriage. I remember when Susan and I got married, um, I don't even consider our marriage to have started until four months after we were married because I was so far from God. 
And she was, she was the one that was reading the Bible. She was the one trying to get me to do devotionals. She was the one doing everything. And then four months after um, we got married, I had this revelation of who Jesus is and the covenant he offered me. And so, man, I began to live for God and it freaked Susan out. I came home and I was like, man, I think I'm called to be a pastor. She was like, dang, I prayed too hard. <laughs> and, and she's like, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't want that. That is not what I was after. And, and so I began to step into this role for her. And ladies, listen, it was hard. She did not want to relinquish the reins on this thing because she had been driving it for so long. And so finally, I step in and I began to be the spiritual head of our household because why? I had a revelation of the covenant that God had established with me that he wanted me to live in. And so I began to live a different life. I finally stepped into the spiritual head of my family. Man, listen to me. You need to step into being the spiritual head of your family. For some of you, the best thing you can do today is to grab your wife by the hand and we have an opportunity to renew our vows. You get her down here if you've got to drag her. Because you step up and you, you become the spiritual head of your household and you begin to love her. And you know the best place to lead? See, this is what men do. Well, I'm going to be the spiritual head. Submit to me, woman. <laughs> Three steps behind. That's not how it works. That is not how, how did Jesus lead his people? You remember John 13, does that ring a bell? When he took off his upper garment, wrapped it around his waist, he took a towel and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Man, you lead your wife at her feet. And you, got, you don't know how hard that is for me to say because I'm sorry, but none of you have pretty feet. There is not a, there is, God did never created a pretty foot in my opinion. I do not like feet. But where you lead from, guys, is you lead from her feet. You become the greatest servant to her you have ever and see this is the thing I have never seen a man who was constantly washing his, the feet of his I don't mean literally because I don't I don't go there but listen but but serving and washing the feet of his wife and passionately pursuing God and her that the woman didn't say I'll follow you wherever you want to go I will follow you to the ends of the earth because you love me the way God loves me I've never seen that happen before but we need to step up and begin to be the, the uh, leaders of our homes, guys. Women, you know, the only, what submission means is it means that you have placed yourself under the mission. It doesn't mean that you can become subservient. Listen, you are way smarter than we are, right? You are not a weaker sex. You are not, there, you, you are, are amazing. I know this. I just watched my wife give birth to our third child. Unbelievable. I'm like, I have such a renewed respect, right? Every time we have a baby, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just bowing down. I'm like, I, cause I guarantee you, we would have got halfway through the first child and I'd have been like, can y'all just wake me up when this thing's over? Give me something now to knock me out. I couldn't have done it. But, but here's the thing, man, is women, all that submission means is that you're coming alongside your husband who is passionately pursuing Christ and you are saying, I'm going to submit my life to follow this mission of God. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to go after God with you. And, and, and girls, listen, telling your husband what a loser he is because he won't go to church, telling your husband what a, a piece of crap he is because he's not the spiritual leader of your household is probably not going to make him want to be the spiritual leader of your household. But what if you begin to build him up? What if, like the scripture said, you begin to model Jesus to him, serving him at his feet, coming to him and loving him unconditionally and letting him see Christ in you, how might that change the picture of your marriage? 
what might that do? Listen to this. Here's the, the second one. But so many times um, we don't realize, this is number two, we don't realize that we started out with a broken pattern. We just jump into this marriage thing just like everybody else does, right? And we think, well, I love them and it's good and we're going to make this thing work. And how long does that last? Like a week. When you get back from the honeymoon, it's like he leaves his socks and underwear in the bathroom and you like, you know, and, and it just blows up. And then there's the big fight and she calls her mom crying and you're like, why don't you just go live with your mom? I've never had that fight, but I, I imagine that's how it goes. And, and so, and all this stuff's taking place, but, but we we base our marriage off of the same broken foundation and pattern that the rest of the world does. Listen, we need to get back to the pattern that God established, the covenant that God established with us as our representation of what our marriage should look like. Those, who does any carpentry work in here sometimes? You, know, you cut things and put them together. Yeah, I like to do it. It just never turns out the way it is in my mind. Um, but the thing you do is when you start to cut boards, like you're going to cut a bunch of boards that are going to be the same length, you take one and you cut it the length you want it to be. You make sure it's perfect, and then you write a P on it. P stands for pattern. And you know what you do? Every time you go back and you get a board to cut, you know which board you use to mark the other boards with? The pattern. Because if you take the pattern and put it in the pile and you just... Go it back and you use the board you just cut to mark it with and then you use the next board you cut to mark it with and use it. Pretty soon you're going to be like a half inch off. Why? Because you got away from the pattern. A saw, a, a saw blade is typically about an eighth of an inch thick. And so every time you cut the board, you're moving an eighth of an inch away from perfection. You got to keep going back to the pattern that God established. And when things get rocky and things get rough, you go back to the pattern that God established. God didn't walk away from you. Why would you walk away from your marriage? Fourth one is this. You don't trust God, so you can't trust anyone else. I realize I'm one of the most cynical people in the world. You can walk up to me and tell me, man, that was a great message, man. I love that thing. That was awesome. And I'm going to go, yeah, what do they want? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because it's just in my mind. I'm like, all right, what's the angle? And I, re- I really like had to die to this thing. I've had to be like, okay, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You know, because, because it is it's a cynical pattern. I think a lot of guys are like this. And I realize it's a trust issue. And women, a lot of you have trust issues. And if you trace this back, most every issue you have in your relationship with somebody can be traced back to your relationship with God. So my inability to trust somebody typically points me back to my inability to trust God. My inability to put my trust in him. So think about this. If you have trust issues, is that true of your relationship with God? If you have anger issues, is that true of your relationship with God? If it is, then we need to go and we begin to, need to begin to work on this covenant relationship that Jesus has given us so that we can begin to, um, to live a life. That, that honors him to, to begin to get back to a place where we're trusting him and we can begin to trust our wife. Listen, today, I understand this. People say this all the time. You don't know what my marriage is like. I don't know. You don't know what he has said to me. I don't. I, 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 honestly, I don't. You don't know what she's said to me. You don't know what she's done. I don't know, but I know this. I know this. The marriage covenant is based off of his covenant with us. And I know what we did and we have said to him. And I know that he didn't walk away but he healed it and he began to make us whole and reestablish us in our relationship with him. He can reestablish your relationship with each other and make it whole again. Fourth one is this, that you've taken the marriage covenant for granted 
just like your covenant with God. So many times we just don't see the value in the one we wake up next to. We lose sight of the value of the person that that is closest to us. You remember the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son and he goes off and he squanders everything and he he does that. You know, that's bad and we can relate to that. But you know where the problem started? It started when he began to take his father for granted. And so many times we take our husband, we take our wife for granted. And, and, and then we look at the adulterer, we look at the, 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 the divorce, and we look at it and we go, well, that's terrible. Well, what was terrible was when you began to sleep next to each other, but all you really had was a roommate. And so we've got to get back to this. Realize, man, don't take her for granted. Don't take him for granted. Realize the treasure that God has put next to you and live from that. The last one is this, that you didn't realize you entered into a holy covenant established by God and not something that some man just dreamed up one day to be able to put people together. This is something that God did. This is something that God established. This is something that God wants to hold together. Isn't it awesome to know that if you'll fight for your marriage, that God is right there with you to have your back and help you to put that thing together, to help you to hold that thing together, to help you to reestablish and and make that thing work? If God's got your back, then what is there to be worried about? What is there to be afraid of? If God has got your back in this thing, don't you know that God is big enough to heal you, to heal the wounds, to heal the the separation, to knock down the wall that's been built up between you and your wife, between you and your husband? Isn't he big enough? If he created the heavens and the earth and he holds them in place, isn't he big enough to make this thing work? Isn't he big enough that if we don't give up and we don't grow tired, if we'll keep taking one more step and just keep getting up and going, isn't he big enough to reestablish it? The answer is yes. He is. Ladies, don't give up on your husband who won't go to church with you. Pray for him. Guys, don't give up on a wife who, who maybe you don't feel like she's following. Maybe she's not walking arm in arm with you. Continue to pray and continue to walk and continue to move towards the goal of Christ. And I guarantee you at some point, if you'll continue in faithfulness, there will be a time when there is a revelation of this covenant that comes. The awesome thing about Matthew 7, 24, is that it, it talks about this, 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 this life that's been built on this rock. And he says, if you build it on the rock, then the winds and the rains of life won't knock it down. But here's the awesome thing about our God. Some of us have built marriages and lives on sand. And they've either fallen down or they're, they're, they're really leaning hard, right? But here's the awesome thing about our God. He is able to come in, jack that house back up, put a new foundation under it, and begin to rebuild it so that it can be healthy and restored and a perfect picture of what the covenant of God is supposed to look like. He's able to come in and take this house that's in shambles and he's able to come in and he knows exactly which board to put where and when and where to put the nails and puts it all back together and puts the finishing touches on it so that when you step back, you go, this is absolutely incredible. Only God could have put this together. And you know what other people are going to do? They're going to do this. They're going to step back and they're going to go, wow, this is crazy. Only God could have put this back together. It's just like Milan last week when he was up here and he brings his family up in the second service and they're all standing up here. And we're all like, <laughs> we're all crying and we're all like, this is incredible. Man. God put them back together again. And, and it's like we're amazed at that. But that's what God does. That's who God is. He's a rebuilder. He's a restorer. And if we're willing to step into this thing with him, man, he'll step in it with us and he'll do some incredible things.
He'll do some awesome things. And so today, the thing that we want to give you an opportunity to do is recommit yourself to his covenant with you. Recommit yourself to his life with you. And to come and recommit yourself to each other. I'm going to ask you, you're here today and you're a married couple who wants to do that. Who says, we want to come up and we want to reestablish our marriage relationship, our marriage covenant on the rock of Christ. We want to say, first of all, we are going to serve Jesus and we're going to serve each other. I'm going to ask you to come up right now. Just, I know, ladies, you may be dragging your husband. Husbands, I hope you'll drag your wife. But I'm going to ask you to come up right now. We're going to lead you through this ceremony. I wore a black shirt. It's the closest thing I have to a robe. <laughs> Sorry. This is cool, man. This is awesome. Got my little black book, too. It's official. Come on up, guys and girls. See, this is awesome. Do you know what will happen? Right now, this is what I want you to understand. Satan is shaking in his, if he wears shoes, in his shoes. He is scared to death because when God begins to put the marriage covenant together and he begins to establish this thing on the rock of Christ, we begin to take back from the devil what he has hijacked from God. God can do so much through this. If he took 12 men and changed the world, what can he do through all of these couples who are willing to say, we're going to commit our lives to Christ and commit ourselves to each other? So now we're going into the formal stuff, okay? I just want to tell you, the purpose of this vow renewal is to give both the husband and the wife the opportunity to once again, or maybe for the first time, commit their lives to Christ and recommit themselves to each other and firmly establish their marriage on the foundation of Christ's covenant. So I want to ask the husband, if you'll turn and face your wife and take her by the hands. So cool. And repeat these vows to your wife. In response to God's unfailing love for me and my unfailing love for you, I surrender my life to Christ. I commit to fulfill his purpose in my life and in our marriage as I follow his example of unconditional love, of serving, and of faithfulness. I pledge to build our marriage on the foundation of Christ's covenant. And I promise to follow the example of Christ and his love for his bride. All right, wives, as you face your husbands, take him by the hand and ask you to repeat these vows to your husband. In response to God's unfailing love for me and my unfailing love for you, I surrender my life to Christ. I commit to fulfill his purpose in my life and in our marriage as I follow his example of unconditional love of serving and of faithfulness I pledge to build our marriage on the foundation of Christ his covenant and I promise to follow the example of Christ's love 
for his bride. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these men and women who, God, have stepped up to the covenant you offer them. God, that um, they would have a revelation of your great love and, and God, that they are stepping into um, this covenant that you've created with them for each other. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would bind these marriages and these hearts together in a way that, that is so far beyond the superficial love of this world and that their marriages would become such a perfect picture of who you are and who you've created and what you've created marriage to be. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for giving us not only an example of healthy relationships and not only a pattern of righteousness, but also giving us the power to continue and to fulfill all that you've placed before us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for being so good to us and, and for holding us and for giving us someone in our lives to hold. We love you and thank you in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Let's give them a hand. That is awesome. I want to tell you too, some of you may be here today and and maybe you're not married. Maybe um, you are. And today, uh, for the first time, you committed your life to Christ. You've given your heart to him and you've said, I want to be a part of his covenant with with me and if that's you today and you want to do that I, I want to ask you to come up and see me or Luke or John or one of the members of the, the worship team we want to know about this one we want to celebrate with you but two we want to be able to walk this thing out with you and, and help you along your journey and help you to be firmly established on the rock of Jesus Christ we got one more minute I got to tell you a funny story before you leave uh, Friday morning I met a friend of mine Joey Fennell at Daylight Donuts and um, we, we usually eat breakfast one day a week, and it was Friday this week. And I don't know if you've ever been by Daylight Donuts on um, Friday morning. It is packed, right? I mean, people everywhere. And uh, if you ever want to see somebody from Statesboro, go to Daylight Friday morning. They'll probably be there at some point in time. And so we're sitting there, and he goes, are you ready for the vow renewals on Sunday? And I said, yeah. In fact, I wrote the vows yesterday, and I actually have them. Uh, let, me, let me listen to them and see what you think about them. And so we're sitting in Daylight Donuts, and I have this piece of paper. We're, and, and, and we're sitting there in this nice little corner booth and I'm, I've got my vows and, and I look at him and I said, in response to God's unfailing love for me and my unfailing love for you. And it hit me and I was looking around. I was like, is anybody actually in here listening to this? And, and I told Joe, I said, why don't you just read them? And he goes, no, I, I can hear them better when you read them to me. And, and I was like, well, we should at least hold hands or something, you know? And, um, but it was such an awesome, awesome, funny thing, man. And, and so I don't think anybody heard us, but if you hear a rumor, it's not true, okay? So you know the whole story. Um, but it was, it was so funny. But listen, man, this has been awesome. Um, you guys are awesome. I, I, I think all, all the time about how awesome it is to be able to be a part of a church like this and um, have the opportunity to, to just talk about God and the Word of God with you. And so, man, I hope you have an awesome week. And, and uh Husbands and wives love each other, serve each other. Um, and you just, I don't think we have any idea what God can do through our marriages when we do that. So God bless you. Have an awesome week and I hope to see you next week.